With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And of either being carried out to sea, for the slightest error was cumulative, or straying fruitlessly along the edge. The next three miles were the most critical of all. They included the watershed, whose length and depth were doubtful. They included, too, the crux of the whole passage, a spot where the channel forks, our own branch continuing west, and another branch diverging from it northwestward. We must row against time, and yet we must negotiate that crux. Add to this that the current was against us till the watershed was crossed, that the tide was just at its most baffling stage, too low to allow us to risk shortcuts, and too high to give definition to the banks of the channel, and that the compass was no aid whatever for the minor bends. Time's up, said Davis, and on we went. I was hugging the comfortable thought that we should now have booms on our starboard for the whole distance. On our starboard, I say, for experience had taught us that all channels running parallel with the coast and islands were uniformly boomed on the northern side. Anyone less confident than Davis would have succumbed to the temptation of slavishly relying on these marks, creeping from one to the other, and wasting precious time. But Davis knew our friend the boom and his eccentricities too well, and preferred to trust to his sense of touch, which no fog in the world could impair. If we happened to sight one, well and good, we should know which side of the channel we were on, but even this contingent advantage he deliberately sacrificed after a short distance, for he crossed over to the south, or unboomed side, and steered and sounded along it, using the Itzendorf flut as his handrail, so to speak. He was compelled to do this, he told me afterwards, in view of the crux, where the converging lines of booms would have involved us in irremediable confusion. Our branch was the southern one, and it followed that we must use the southern bank and defer obtaining any help from booms until sure we were past that critical spot. For an hour we were at the extreme strain, I of physical exertion, he of mental. I could not get into a steady swing, for little checks were constant. My right skull was forever skidding on mud or weeds, and the backward suck of shoal water clogged our progress. Once we were both of us, out in the slime, tugging at the dinghy's sides, then in again, blundering on. I found the fog bemusing, lost all idea of time and space, and felt like a senseless marionette, kicking and jerking to a mad music, without tune or time. 
the misty form of Davis, as he sat with his right arm swinging rhythmically forward and back, was a clockwork figure as mad as myself, but didactic and gibbering in its madness. Then the boat-hook he wielded with a circular sweep began to take grotesque shapes in my heated fancy. Now it was the antenna of a groping insect, now the crank of a cripple's self-propelled perambulator, now the alpenstock of a lunatic mountaineer who sits in his chair and climbs and climbs to some phantom watershed. At the back of such mind as was left me lodged two insistent thoughts. We must hurry on. We are going wrong. As to the latter, take a link-boy through a London fog and you will experience the same thing. He always goes the way you think is wrong. We're rowing back, I remember shouting to Davis once having become aware that it was now my left skull which splashed against obstructions. "'Rubbish,' said Davis. "'I've crossed over.' And I relapsed. By degrees I returned to sanity, thanks to improved conditions. It is an ill wind that blows nobody good, and the state of the tide, though it threatened us with total failure, had the compensating advantage that the lower it fell— the more constricted and defined became our channel, till the time came when the compass and boat-hook were alike unnecessary, because our handrail, the muddy brink of the channel, was visible to the eye, close to us, on our right hand always now, for the crux was far behind, and the northern side was now our guide. All that remained was to press on with might and main, ere the bed of the creek died. What a race it was! Homeric, in effect, a struggle of men with gods, for what were the gods but forces of nature personified? If the god of the falling tide did not figure in the Olympian circle, he is nonetheless a mighty divinity. Davis left his post and rowed stroke. Under our united efforts the dinghy advanced in strenuous leaps, hurling miniature rollers on the bank beside us. My palms, seasoned as they were, smarting with watery blisters. The pace was too hot for my strength and breath. "'I must have a rest,' I gasped. "'Well, I think we're over it,' said Davis. We stopped the dinghy dead, and he stabbed over the side with a boat-hook. It passed gently astern of us, and even my bewildered brain took in the meaning of that. Three feet and the current with us. "'Well over it,' he said. "'I'll paddle on while you rest and feed.' It was a few minutes past one, and we still, as he calculated, had eight miles before us, allowing for bends. "'But it's a mere question of muscle,' he said. I took his word for it, and munched at tongue and biscuits. As for muscle, we were both in hard condition. He was fresh, and what distress I felt— was mainly due to spasmodic exertion culminating in that desperate spurt. As for the fog, it had more than once shown a faint tendency to lift, growing thinner and more luminous in the manner of fogs, always to settle down again, heavy as a quilt. Note the spot marked second rest. Approximately correct, Davis says, and the course of the channel from that point westward you will see it broadening and deepening to the dimensions of a great river, and finally merging in the estuary of the Ems. Note, too, 
that its northern boundary, the edge of the now uncovered Nordland sand, leads with one interruption direct to Mehmet, and is boomed throughout. You will then understand why Davis made so light of the rest of his problem. Compared with the feats he had performed, it was child's play, for he always had that visible margin to keep touch with if he chose, or to return to, in case of doubt. As a matter of fact, observe our dotted line, he made two daring departures from it, the first purely to save time, the second partly to save time, and partly to avoid the very awkward spot marked A, where a creek with booms and a little delta of its own interrupts the even bank. During the first of these departures, the shortest but most brilliant, he let me do the rowing, and devoted himself to the niceties of the course. During the second, and through both the intermediate stages, he rowed himself, with occasional pauses to inspect the chart. We fell into a long, measured stroke, and covered the miles rapidly, scarcely exchanging a single word till, at the end of a long pull through vacancy, Davis said suddenly, "'Now where are we to land?' A sandbank was looming over us, crowned by a lonely boom. "'Where are we?' "'A quarter of a mile from Mehmet. "'What time is it?' "'Nearly three. End of chapter 21